Episode 13, A Story by James. Hello students, how are you doing today? I hope you're well. In today's episode, I'm going to tell you a story. This is a storytelling episode. It is a short story that I wrote about myself. It is quite a personal story about my life. It is a story about how I am lucky to be alive here talking to you today, right now. It is also a story about patience, and essentially, it is a love story as well. As I said, it is a short story, just over five minutes long, but it touches on a few important events that I have experienced in my life. When I say the story touches on, this is a nice little phrasal verb, which means the story is going to very briefly describe some important moments from my life, but it will not go into too much detail. Why am I sharing this story with you on the podcast today? Well, during the last couple of weeks, I've been busy recording a new English course called The Art of Storytelling, which I've just published on the School of Duda's platform. In this course, we discuss why storytelling is so important and how humans have been using storytelling for thousands of years to entertain themselves and pass on important knowledge from one generation to the next. The course is based on the ideas of Andrew Stanton, who is a master storyteller, responsible for writing many of Pixar's most successful animation films, such as Toy Story, Finding Nemo, and WALL-E. No doubt you will already be familiar with some of his stories. I've been using this course to teach my students different techniques to improve their storytelling skills and ultimately how they tell their personal story. No matter who you are or what you do, storytelling is an essential skill that can help you achieve your goals and influence the people around you, both in your professional and personal life. So, in this episode, I wanted to share something with you from my storytelling course, but rather than talking about all the great content and lessons contained within the course, instead I thought I would just share my own personal story with you. At the end of this course, I always challenge my students to write a short story in English using some of the ideas and techniques that they have learnt. And as I'm asking my students to do this, I thought it was only fair if I did it as well. So this is the story I wrote. Today I'm going to begin by first reading the story and then afterwards I'm going to break it down for you. This means I'm going to read it again, line by line, to explain some of the more challenging words and phrases. I'll also try to share some of my memories, thoughts and reflections to give you a little more context and insight. Just to let you know that there is a video version of this episode available on YouTube which shows me reading this story in case you also want to read the text yourself while you listen. I'll also make this available to watch at schoolofduda.com where you can access the full transcript for this podcast episode. This is all free content so that not only can you study the transcript but there is also a list of all the key vocabulary that you'll hear today. Finally, if you're interested in experiencing the Art of Storytelling course, then at the end of this episode, I will explain how you can get access to this for free. So listen out for that. Okay, I hope you're ready for a story. Let's begin. A story by James. 
I'm going to tell you a story about how I ended up marrying a Brazilian woman, about patience and about how I was lucky enough to escape death so that I could be here today. When I was just nine years old, I remember my friend's mum asking me if I would ever get married. I quickly responded with a yes, which shocked and amused her a little, as most children that age would not reply so promptly to a question like this. I then added in a confident voice that I would marry a Brazilian woman, which made her laugh out loud. I do not know why I said I would marry a Brazilian woman. I had never been to Brazil. I had never really traveled anywhere. I had never even met a person from South America, let alone a Brazilian woman. I can only guess that I had heard somewhere that Brazilian women are the most beautiful in the world, and this had somehow triggered my quick response. At the age of 22, I had just graduated from studying architecture at university. I was preparing to travel to South America to fulfill my childhood dream of visiting the rainforest. I had bought my ticket and I was ready to spend six months working on a conservation project in the Amazon. Then, out of the blue, I got a phone call from my mum saying that she had something important to tell me and asked me to come home immediately. Concerned, I asked her what was wrong, but she wouldn't tell me. Annoyed by her response, I asked if someone had died. She said no. After a few minutes of discussion, I convinced her to tell me the news over the phone. She said, don't worry, but you need to go to the hospital to do some tests. They think you might have a problem with your heart. This wasn't the first time I'd had a problem with my heart. When I was four years old, I had had some life-saving heart surgery but I grew up healthy, played sports, and lived a normal life. Every year, I would go to the hospital for a checkup until, at the age of 18, when the doctors said that I would never need to worry about my heart again. However, at the age of 22, I was suddenly being rushed to the hospital in order to have life-saving heart surgery for the second time. It was by lucky coincidence that I discovered this news in time. A couple of weeks earlier, my mum had bumped into an old friend who asked how I was after my heart surgery. My mum, confused by the question, asked her what she was talking about. At this point, I had not had any heart surgery and knew nothing about my condition. This friend Hilary went on to explain that she was a radiographer whose job was to analyze the test results from the MRI magnetic resonance imaging machine. Over a year earlier, she was analyzing some results and recognized my name, James Sutton. She was alarmed to see that I had a serious problem with my heart, but as it was only her job to analyze the results and then pass them on to the doctors, she soon forgot all about it until the day she met my mother and remembered she had seen I had a serious condition. Age 21, the hospital had called me in for a routine test. I was very busy at the time finishing my architecture degree and had forgotten all about these tests. I had never received any results or follow-up. Later, the doctors explained that the printer at the hospital had missed off some important information, which led to a failure to contact me. The chance meeting of Hillary and my mother led to immediate action. 
Instead of going to the Amazon, I was fast-tracked into hospital to have urgent heart surgery and spent the next six months recovering. Thankfully, the surgery was successful and despite several scary and difficult moments during my recovery, I survived to tell the tale. The time spent recovering was by far one of the most difficult experiences of my life. It tested my patience to the limit. Recovery was painfully slow. First, I had to get out of the hospital bed, then to walk again. Every day, I would push myself a few steps further. I became desperate to leave that hospital. Each day, the doctor would say I needed to stay one more day. One morning, I'd convinced myself that I was going home, only to have my delusions shattered. I remember the tears of disappointment I felt at that moment. I was so fragile. Finally, with patience, the doctor promised to let me go home. The night before, I woke up to go to the bathroom. It must have been around 4 a.m. in the morning. Feeling thirsty, I decided to help myself to a glass of milk from the kitchen. All the nurses on the night shift were in their office. As I finished the milk, I started to feel dizzy, lost my vision and decided to lie down before I fell down. A few minutes passed as I lay on my back on that dirty hospital floor until eventually I regained my strength. Quietly, I made my way back to my bed without anyone noticing me. I never told anyone about that night, including my doctor who discharged me the next morning. I remember my dad pushing me out of the hospital in a wheelchair with me smiling all the way home. During my recovery, I spent a lot of time reading about the Amazon and became passionate about the problem of deforestation. I thought of a way ordinary people could help to protect rainforest through a new type of online fundraising platform. Every day I would work on this idea. Eventually, I had recovered enough for my doctor to let me travel. I was desperate to get away. He wouldn't let me go to the Amazon, but as long as I traveled to countries with good hospitals, then he would allow me to leave. I spent the next year traveling around the world, still recovering from my surgery and working on my rainforest project. When I returned to the UK, I went to meet a rainforest charity located in London to discuss a partnership with them. When I walked into their office, I met a beautiful Brazilian woman called Hosanna, who later became my wife. Together, we traveled to the Brazilian Amazon to visit a small rainforest community and work to launch my project. Finally, my dream to visit the rainforest had been realized, and strangely, my nine-year-old response to marriage had turned out to be true. Looking back at my story, I have learned that heart surgery is a very painful and frustrating experience. However, now that I'm on the other side of this, I wouldn't change anything in my past. During this difficult time, I also learned the value of patience, which is something I find very useful, especially when living in Brazil and married to a gaúcha. I feel incredibly fortunate to be here today. I think anyone who has had a similar experience to me will know that waking up every day and feeling grateful to be alive is one of the greatest gifts you can ever receive. Okay, that's the end. So now let's break it down and have a look at it line by line. 
Let's go. A story by James. I'm going to tell you a story about how I ended up marrying a Brazilian woman, about patience, and about how I was lucky enough to escape death so that I could be here today. Okay, so the first word I've highlighted here is ended up. And if you end up doing something, it means uh, finally at the, the end of the, the story or the situation, um, something happens, something occurs, okay? And the other word I've highlighted here is patience. So patience, if you don't know, is when you are able to tolerate something without getting angry or frustrated, okay? So if you have a lot of patience, it's you, you're able to be quiet and accept things uh, and wait quietly until, uh, you know, something happens, okay? Okay, so quite a dramatic start, but obviously trying to, uh, you know, set an exciting start to the, the story. Okay, when I was just nine years old, I remember my friend's mum asking me if I would ever get married. So get married is when you become husband and wife. Um, so you have a wedding, you get married, okay? Uh, I quickly responded with a yes, which shocked and amused her a little, as most children that age would not reply so promptly to a question like this. Okay, so promptly um, just means quickly. If you reply promptly, it means you re reply very quickly. Uh, I then added in a confident voice that I would marry a Brazilian woman, which made her laugh out loud. Okay, so if someone laughs out loud, they find something so funny that they, you know, they, they laugh in a way that other people can hear them. Um, so in this case, the fact that I was, you know, just nine years old and I was declaring that I'm going to marry a Brazilian woman is quite a random and strange thing for a nine-year-old to say. Um, so yeah, it made my friend's mum just laugh out loud. So you also hear this when people do um, like text messages. Uh, LOL is the abbreviation of laugh out loud. So when something's so funny, it just makes you uh, burst into laughter. Okay, I do not know why I said I would marry a Brazilian woman. I had never been to Brazil. I had never really traveled anywhere. I had never even met a person from South America, let alone a Brazilian woman. I can only guess that I had heard somewhere that Brazilian women are the most beautiful in the world and this had somehow triggered my quick response. So the verb to trigger um, means to activate something. So in this case, um, you know, my, my quick response was triggered by something, I don't know what, but perhaps somebody had told me when I was a kid, oh, you know, Brazilian women are the most beautiful in the world. So I had this idea um, that one day I want to marry a Brazilian woman because I think, oh, they're the, they're the most beautiful, uh, the nicest women in the world. Um, so yeah, somehow when, when my friends mum asked me, am I going to get married? You know, it triggered this memory and I thought, yes, I'm going to get married and I'm going to marry a Brazilian woman. Okay, so let's move on. At the age of 22, I had just graduated from studying architecture at university. So to graduate means to complete your studies at university 
and to to basically pass your exams to qualify and to get your you know your degree or your qualification so i had at 22 i just finished university i just graduated and i was studying architecture okay i was preparing to travel to south america to fulfill my childhood dream of visiting the rainforest so i've highlighted here to fulfill the verb to fulfill and it means to realize something. If you fulfill a dream, it means that you realize you, you experience that dream, okay? So my childhood dream was to visit the rainforest. I'd never been, and it was somewhere that I really wanted to go. I'd bought my ticket, and I was ready to spend six months working on a conservation project in the Amazon. Okay, so conservation project is uh, basically when you, you can do conservation is you um, protect the environment, you protect the forest in this case. So I had volunteered for an NGO where you can go and spend, I think, three months um, in the Amazon rainforest learning about the forest and also working on conservation projects to, to help uh, protect the local uh, biodiversity and uh, communities there okay then out of the blue I got a phone call from my mum saying that she had something important to tell me and asked me to come home immediately okay so out of the blue is a nice expression which means when something suddenly happens okay something that's unexpected suddenly happens it happens out of the blue it comes out of the blue okay um, concerned, I asked her what was wrong, and she wouldn't tell me. Annoyed by her response, I asked if someone had died. She said no. After a few minutes of discussion, I convinced her to tell me the news over the phone. Okay, so I've highlighted um, convinced. So if you convince someone to do something, the verb to convince, it means you persuade them to do something. So in this case, you know, my mum called me and she said she had something really important to tell me, but she wouldn't tell me over the phone. And obviously I got really frustrated and thought, you know, what, what, you know, what is it? I was really concerned and I thought, oh, maybe, maybe someone's died, you know, maybe it's really bad news. Um, so I asked her, you know, had someone died? And she said, no, no, no one's died. So that was good. Um, but she still wouldn't tell me until I managed to convince her. Okay. She said, don't worry, but you need to go to the hospital and do some tests. They think you might have a problem with your heart. Okay, so this is what she told me. Finally, she told me, okay, there's a problem with my heart and I need to go to the hospital straight away to do some tests and find out what the problem is. This wasn't the first time I'd had a problem with my heart. When I was four years old, I had some life-saving heart surgery. Uh, okay, so when I was, yeah, when I was four, um, I actually had heart surgery. So uh, I had a different problem. I had like a, a blockage of the aortic valve that I was born with. And they had to do open heart surgery. They had to cut out this piece of the, the, the aorta and um, fix that. So that was quite major heart surgery when I was four. Um, and then every year, um, I had to go for a, a checkup. So I, I was, you know, healthy. So I'll read this. Uh, but I grew up healthy, played sports, and lived a normal life. 
Okay, so as I was a child, after my heart surgery at four, you know, I lived a normal life. I played lots of sports, I did running, you know, I was just like any other kid. Um, every year I would go to the hospital for a checkup. So a checkup is when you go and do a general exam just to check that everything is okay. Okay, so you go to the doctors and they do some tests and just to see if you're okay. So every year I go to the hospital for a checkup until at the age of 18 when the doctors said that I would never need to worry about my heart again. However, at the age of 22, I was suddenly being rushed to the hospital in order to have life-saving heart surgery for the second time. Okay, so every year I go for these checkups until I got to the age of 18 when they said, okay, like, you know, go and live your life now. You'll have no more problems with your heart. Um, no more need to do any more checkups. You know, just enjoy your life. So that's what I did. Um, but at the age of 22, I was suddenly being rushed to hospital. So if you're being rushed to rush the verb, it means to, to go very quickly, okay? So to go hastily. When you don't have a lot of time, you need to rush to get somewhere, to arrive somewhere. So in this case, uh, I had an urgent problem with my heart. I was being rushed to the hospital to have life-saving heart surgery for the second time. It was by lucky coincidence that I discovered this news in time. So a coincidence is when something happens by chance, okay? So um, in this case, I was very lucky uh, that there was a coincidence. Uh, and the coincidence was when my mum met this other friend and she told her the news. A couple of weeks earlier, my mum had bumped into an old friend who asked her how I was after my heart surgery. So here I've highlighted the phrasal verb to bump into. And when you bump into someone, it means that you meet them unexpectedly, okay? So you, again, you meet them by coincidence, you meet them by chance. It's an unplanned, unexpected meeting, okay? So, yeah, my mum was a volunteer at this horse event, and so was this, this friend. And they met, you know, normally like once a year um, at this event, and they started talking, so yeah, this, this friend said, you know, how was James after his heart surgery? So my mum, confused by the question, asked her what she was talking about. At this point, I had not had any heart surgery and knew nothing about my condition. This friend Hilary went on to explain that she was the radiographer whose job was to analyze the test results from the MRI, magnetic resonance Imag imaging machine. Okay, so this friend, she worked at Liverpool Hospital and she was a radiographer. So her job was to basically analyze all the results from the MRI machine. So this, you know, big expensive machine at the hospital, which you go inside of and it scans your, you know, your heart or it scans different parts of your body. But in my case, it did a scan of my heart and her job was just to analyze the results. Over a year earlier, she was analyzing some results and recognized my name, James Sutton. She was alarmed to see that I had a serious problem with my heart. But as it was only her job to analyze the results and pass them on to the doctors, she soon forgot all about it until the day she met my mother and remembered that she had a, 
that she had seen I had a serious condition. Okay, so Hillary, the friend, uh, was alarmed. So I've highlighted alarmed. And if you're alarmed about something, it means you're really concerned. You're really worried about something. So she saw my results. She recognized my name. She knew, ah, oh, this is the son of my friend. Um, and he's got a really serious problem with his, with his heart. Um, okay, but then obviously, you know, her job was just to pass it on to the doctor. It was not her job to contact me. So she kind of just forgot about it and trusted that the doctors would, um, you know, contact me. Aged 21, the hospital had called me in for a routine test. Okay, so uh, this was before when I was 21. Uh, I got a phone call from the hospital and they just invited me to go to the hospital for a routine test. So they said, oh, it's just normal. Uh, you know, I know we said you don't need any more checkups, but, you know, we just normally, you know, at 21, we do one more checkup. So it was a routine test. So a routine is a regular um, standard test, basically. Okay. Um, I was very busy at the time finishing my architecture degree and had forgotten all about these tests. So during this time, I was finishing my degree. So your degree is the qualification you get at university. And I was so busy with all the work that was involved at university that I'd just forgotten about it. You know, I did the exams, but I forgot to ask about the results. And maybe I assumed everything was okay, otherwise they'd contact me. Uh, or or maybe I just completely forgot about them. Um, I never received any results or follow-up. Later, the doctors explained that the printer at the hospital had missed off some important information, which led to a failure to contact me. The chance meeting of Hillary and my mother led to immediate action. Okay, so when I finally spoke to the doctors, they kind of gave me the excuse and said, Oh, sorry, we think the printer at the hospital missed off some important results of, of your exams. And that's why we never saw the problem. Okay, so I don't know if that was true or not, but that's what they said. So it wasn't really anyone's fault. It was the printer's fault, apparently. So, but anyway, um, luckily, we did discover the problem in time. So, um, yeah, it doesn't really matter, I guess. Okay, wait just a moment. This is James from the future. I'm just editing the podcast. And I realized that during the story, I don't actually explain what the problem was with my heart, which I think is quite important for the story. So let me just explain. So the doctors discovered I had an aneurysm on the aortic uh, valve. So on the aorta, on the aorta. Um, and an aneurysm, if you don't know, is when your artery gets wider. And normally on a, an adult male, you know, it'd be like two centimeters wide, you know, maybe maximum three centimeters, uh, more than five, five and a half. You know, you need to have surgery and operation to, to fix this problem. Um, and they discovered that mine was 7.5 centimeters wide. So it's really serious. And the danger is, as the walls get wider, they get thinner. And if they get so thin, then they can burst. And it's basically, yeah, game over. Um, you, you really don't want that to happen. Um, so, so yeah, I was really lucky to find the problem when I did. And especially because, you know, I've been doing my architecture degree. I've been studying so much. 
I wasn't doing any exercise, so I was really unfit. And afterwards I decided, okay, I'm gonna run 10 kilometers a day, 10K a day. And I was lifting really heavy weights, trying to get fit. And that was basically the worst thing you could do if you have a, you know, a serious aneurysm, because when you lift the heavy weights, you know, you can just burst the, the artery. So I was really lucky um, that I found it in time. Um, and yeah, it was really close to the valve, so they had to replace the aortic valve. So I now have a mechanical valve in my heart, and it's it ticks, it's noisy. Um, yeah, so that's it. So, okay, let's go back to the breakdown of the story, uh, and let's continue. Instead of going to the Amazon, I was fast-tracked into hospital to have urgent heart surgery and spent the next six months recovering. So I've highlighted here fast-tracked. So if you're fast-tracked, it means that your um, situation is advanced quickly, okay? So if you imagine uh, normally when you're waiting for an operation at the hospital, there's a waiting list and you have to wait your turn. Um, but as my surgery was such uh, a serious situation and an emergency, you know, I was fast-tracked to the front of the queue um, and very quickly, within I think a week or two, I was in hospital uh, having the surgery um, and spent the next six months recovering. Thankfully, the surgery was successful and dis despite several scary and difficult moments during my recovery, I survived to tell the tale. Okay, so I've highlighted here scary. So if something is scary, it's frightening, it's, it's very worrying. And um, yeah, during my recovery of six months, you know, I had many situations, not many, but several situations where I was in, you know, really scary situations, I had big problems, had to go back to hospital. Um, so obviously this is really worrying. You think, uh, you always think the worst. Um, but uh, eventually I survived to tell the tale. So this is an expression, an idiom. Um, which yeah, basically means I, I survived to tell the story, okay? A tale is the story. So it sounds a bit dramatic, and I, I kind of am being dramatic here for dramatic effect to make the story uh, interesting. But at the same time, um, you know, obviously there was risks involved in this surgery, and uh, not everybody survives. Um, so, so yeah, but thankfully I did. The time spent recovering was by far the most difficult experience of my life. It tested my patience to the limit. Recovery was painfully slow. First, I had to get out of the hospital bed, then to walk again. Every day, I would push myself a few steps further. Okay, so probably the worst thing about this uh, experience uh, was not, you know, the physical pain of having, you know, your chest open, having open heart surgery, which is extremely painful, I can assure you. Um, but it's the patience that inv is involved in recovery. You know, it takes a long time, like six months, a year, it took me more than a year, really, to, to fully recover. Um, so obviously, you have to be extremely patient. And for me, it was, you know, being able to walk again, and every day I would walk a bit further. Um, but it's, yeah, it was very frustrating, and I had to learn to be patient um, to get through it. I became desperate to leave the hospital. 
Each day, the doctor would say I needed to stay one more day. One morning, I'd convince myself that I was going home, only to have my delusions shattered. Okay, so I was so desperate to get out of the hospital that I'd even convinced myself that oh, today I'm definitely going home, you know, even though the doctor said I wasn't. Um, and then at one point, you know, it got to the end of the day and I said, no, you're not going home today. And my delusions were shattered. Okay, so I was deluded. I'd believed something that was wrong, that was, that was false. Uh, that was a, a delusion. Um, I'd, I'd imagined that I'd, I'd uh, like tricked myself into believing that I was going home and my delusions were shattered. So to shatter something means to break it into lots of pieces. So if I get a glass and I, I throw a glass on the floor, then it shatters into hundreds of pieces, okay? It breaks, okay? I remember the tears of disappointment I felt at that moment. I was so fragile, okay? So physically and mentally, I was so weak, I was fragile. So if you're fragile, it means uh, you're vulnerable, you're weak. And yeah, at this point I was, I was so uh, broken and so exhausted that, you know, I, I even cried, you know, I had um, tears of disappointment at this point. Finally, with patience, the doctor promised to let me go home. Okay, so eventually, after many, many days, I think like two weeks, the doctors allowed me to go home. The night before, I woke up to go to the bathroom. Okay, so I should say, the doctor said, oh, you can go home tomorrow if your temperature and all your vital signs are okay. Okay, so the next day I had to be very healthy, otherwise he wouldn't let me go. So the night before, I woke up to go to the bathroom. It must have been around 4 a.m. in the morning. Feeling thirsty, I decided to help myself to a glass of milk from the kitchen. Okay, so I went to the bathroom and then I was like incredibly thirsty and dehydrated. So I thought, oh, I'll go to the milk machine in the kitchen and help myself to a glass of milk, which I did. It was really nice. Very refreshing, I remember. Um, all the nurses on the night shift went, went, were in their office. Okay, so the nurses on the night shift. So a night shift is when you're working for a period of time during the night. Um, they were all in the nurse's office um, talking, I think. As I finished the milk, I started to feel dizzy, lost my vision and decided to lie down before I fell down. Okay, so in this moment, I started to get dizzy when you know, I started to lose my, lose my vision, lose my balance, and I could feel that I was gonna fall, okay? And obviously, I just had open heart surgery, so if I fell, that would have been a disaster. I don't know what would have happened, but it would have been you know, really bad. So I quickly decided, right, okay, I've gotta lie myself down on the floor. So I was lying down on my back, obviously, because I have my scar uh, at the front uh, where I had the surgery. And I was on this really dirty floor. And obviously, when you've just had open heart surgery, the last thing you want to do is be on a dirty floor because there's a risk of infection. Um, but there I was. I was lying there and I was trying to be quiet so no one would hear me because if the nurses had heard me, um, you know, I thought, oh, there's no way they're going to let me go home tomorrow if they knew that I got dizzy and uh, fell down, basically. So, so I was quietly lying there and eventually 
let me read this. So, a few minutes passed as I lay on my back on that dirty hospital floor until eventually I regained my strength. Okay, so I, I got the energy, the strength to stand up again. Quietly, I made my way back to my bed without anyone noticing me. Okay, so nobody noticed me. So to notice is to, to see, to become aware of, of me. So the nurses didn't see me, no doctors saw me. I never told anyone about that night, until my, including my doctor who discharged me the next morning. Okay, so the next day I didn't tell anyone, I didn't tell my doctor and he discharged me. So if you're discharged, it means you're officially uh, allowed to leave a place. So you get discharged from the hospital when the doctor says that it's, it's okay for you to go home, okay? I remember my dad pushing me out of that hospital in a wheelchair with me smiling all the way home. So I left the hospital in a wheelchair. I wasn't able to walk. You weren't allowed to walk. And my dad was pushing me out. And obviously I was so happy just to be leaving. And I was smiling. And uh, yeah, I think I was smiling kind of to myself because you know, I hadn't told anyone about what happened, uh, which, yeah, you might think maybe it's a stupid thing, like maybe I should have done, maybe I would have been better in the hospital. But um, yeah, I was so desperate to leave that um, I would do anything to, to get out of that hospital. During my recovery, I spent a lot of time reading about the Amazon and became passionate about the problem of deforestation. Okay, so at this time, I was learning a lot about deforestation. So deforestation is when uh, they cut down all the trees in the forest and they clear it. And obviously it's a, a big problem in the Amazon. And I was thinking, okay, this is a really serious problem that I would like to do something uh, to help solve. I thought of an ordinary way people could help to protect rainforest through a new type of online fundraising platform. So I won't go into too much detail, but I basically created an online startup um, and built a, a platform where people could fundraise. So people could donate money to rainforest charities in the Amazon. Okay, so I worked with rainforest communities in the Amazon and I was responsible for raising money um, to help them with their conservation project to stop the deforestation happening. Every day I'd work on this idea. Eventually, I had recovered enough for my doctor to let me travel. I was desperate to get away. Okay, so I was desperate. I've highlighted desperate here. And it means that I really, really wanted to do something. So if you're desperate, it's like you have a strong desire, a strong urge or need to do something. And in this case, I was desperate to get away. And to get away means, well, it's a phrasal verb that can mean to escape. So I wanted to escape um, England. I wanted to escape where I was. Or it can also mean to travel, to go on holiday, to go on vacation. So I guess in this case, it meant both. I wanted to travel. I wanted to escape, um, you know, being at home, lying on the sofa, recovering. He wouldn't let me go to the Amazon, so uh, the doctor wouldn't let me go to the Amazon. But as long as I traveled to countries with good hospitals, then he would allow me to leave. So the, my doctor, my surgeon, said like, oh, no way am I letting you go to the Amazon, it's too dangerous. Uh, but I'll let you go to first world countries with good hospitals. 
okay? So that was the deal. That was the only way he'd let me leave. And even then he said, oh, normally I wouldn't let anyone go anywhere for a year after the operation. And it had only been six months. Um, but anyway, he agreed to let me go. I spent the next year traveling around the world, still recovering from my surgery and working on my rainforest project. Okay, so when I left, I first went to Japan and then Australia and lots, lots of different places. And I was still really weak, so I was still recovering. Uh, I had a bag with not very much in it because I physically couldn't lift uh, much weight. Um, and I, I ended up in Australia. And yeah, it's important to say I was working on this rainforest project idea. But at the same time, I was also working, doing all kinds of jobs. So I was working on coffee stands and in cafes. Um, so it wasn't like I was just traveling around the world for a year um, doing nothing. I was, you know, I had to work to, to pay for the trip. So just, just to mention that, it's quite important. When I returned to the UK, I went to meet a rainforest charity located in London to discuss a partnership with them. I walked into their office. I met a beautiful Brazilian woman called Hosanna, who later became my wife. So doing this rainforest project led me to do a partnership with a charity in the UK, in London. And yeah, I remember walking into this office and I just met this beautiful Brazilian woman and you know, discovered her name was Hosanna. And uh, it's a long story. But in the end, eventually, she became my wife. Together, we traveled to the Brazilian Amazon to visit a small rainforest community and work to launch my project. Finally, my dream to visit the rainforest had been realized. And strangely, my nine-year-old response about marriage turned out to be true. Okay, so here I've highlighted strangely. So if something... Uh, strange it's um, it's something that's unexpected okay so when I was nine years old I made this prediction I made this statement that one day I'm going to marry a Brazilian woman and strangely oddly unexpectedly uh, it turned out to be true okay so I don't know if that's just coincidence or there's some other explanation for that but uh, it turned out to be true and that means um, in the end, uh, it, we discovered it was true. If something turns out to be something, it's like you, you realize that thing, okay? So we, we discovered it was true, okay? Looking back at my story, I have learned that heart surgery is a very painful and frustrating experience. However, now that I'm on the other side of this, I wouldn't change anything in my past. During this difficult time, I also learned the value of patience, which is something I find very useful, especially when living in Brazil and married to a gaúcha. Okay, so here I talk about, you know, how, how heart surgery was extremely painful. It was one of the most difficult things I've done in my life. Um, it was painful, frustrating. However, I wouldn't change this experience if I could, you know, often, some of the most difficult experiences where we suffer the most is where we learn the most. And I think from this experience, it really shaped and changed the way I see life and um, it changed my personality in a way. Um, and I learned a lot of valuable lessons from this experience. And one of them was patience. And that is something 
that has been really important in my life. And um, here I kind of make a joke. So, you know, especially when living in Brazil, so I say, oh, you need to have a lot of patience when, in Bra- when living in Brazil because, um, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy, there's a lot of people arriving late, you know, all these stereotypical things. Um, so this is, this is kind of a joke. Please don't get offended if you're Brazilian. Um, and then also I say when being married to a gaúcha. So a gaúcha is a woman from the south of Brazil, from the state of uh, Rio Grande do Sul. And it's where like the cowboys are from. So the gaúchos are the cowboys and gaúchas are the female cow- cowgirls, cowboys. Um, and that's where my wife is originally from. So she's a gaúcha. And they're known for being very um, kind of direct and... Um, how do you say, a little bit aggressive maybe. Um, So again, this is a stereotype. So I'm kind of making a joke here that I need a lot of patience to to live with my wife, basically. Uh, She'll really, really appreciate all this, I'm sure. Um, So I feel incredibly fortunate to be here today. I think anyone who's had a similar experience to me will know that waking up every day and feeling grateful to be alive is one of the greatest gifts that you can ever receive. Okay, so I think this last paragraph is, is, uh, explains itself. But uh, yeah, if you're grateful for something, if you're grateful to be alive, it means that you are thankful, okay? So you are, um, yeah, thankful basically. Uh, you appreciate something. So because of my experience with my heart surgery, and for a long time, you know, I, I didn't think um, that I might survive. Um, you know, I appreciate every day. And I think you know, many of us who have been through similar experiences, or, or maybe you've not, but you still appreciate every single day. And that, that is a wonderful gift, you know. So from this experience, this, you know, really difficult experience of heart surgery, I was given this gift of um, appreciating life uh, in a way that perhaps I didn't before. Okay, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed my story. There is so much more I could talk about for these experiences, such as explaining the different ways that my heart surgery impacted my life, or why I decided to start an NGO working with forestry communities in the Amazon rainforest. But the idea here was to keep the story short. And even then, it's probably twice as long as it should be. But anyway, if you're interested to know more about anything that I've mentioned in this podcast, then perhaps I can make some more episodes going into more detail about these experiences. Finally, I want to tell you that if you'd like to try the Art of Storytelling English course, then I'll leave a link below for where you can access it on schoolofduda.com. I'm going to make this course free again for the first 100 students. So it is a great opportunity for you to develop your English fluency using the comprehensible input approach that you'll find at School of Duda. So if you'd like to become a master storyteller as well as a master of the English language, then this is a course for you. Okay, that is it. I hope this will inspire you to read, listen, write and tell more stories in English. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then you can show your support by leaving a comment or review wherever you are listening to this. You can also share this with a friend who speaks English. Two quick and simple ways to help me. 
It sounds cliche, but it is true. It really makes me happy every time I receive a comment from a student. Okay, this is it. Goodbye from me. Have a great week and I'll speak to you in the next episode.